welcome back to this week's episode of Unmedicated. Three friends talking about different things on their mind each week. This week I proposed to the guys, what is your favorite type of call? So what's up, guys? Hi. You Saw, are? dude. <laughs> oh, man, the room echo. Yeah. So I proposed to you guys this week, uh, what's your favorite type of call? And I'm kind of curious to see where this goes. I think I got an idea for each of you, but I'm not 100% sure. So what is your favorite type of call and why? Depends who you ask. My favorite call to me is different than what people think. Um, to other people, my favorite call is the one I try to avoid. Um, personally, uh, my favorite, <laughs> my, my favorite call generally are medical calls. Like I'm okay with trauma. Like I can get what I need done, do what I need to do. But like medical, you get to critically think get to evaluate symptoms versus what the monitor says uh you get to clinically differentiate between what it could be and what it couldn't be uh i like the ability to use critical thinking i like the ability of it's not necessarily what i thought it was in the beginning but by the end i found out what it was and hopefully fixed it um, in our line of work, we get a lot of the, they already know what's wrong, get them up there so they can get better treatment. And then you get the random acts of, well, everything just changed because it might not have been what they thought it was, or we just get an extra bit of excitement because the patient decides that their pacemaker is going to go off seven times. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh- a little bit more in depth when you get into the medical side as uh, you live over there. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Is there a specific type of medical call like respiratory, cardiac? I fucking hate respiratory because then I have to deal with airways. I hate suctioning. I hate dealing with people that cough. I hate dealing with people that like suck mucus back into their nostrils. I hate respiratory. Now, borderline car. <laughs> fuck you. So borderline uh, cardiac runs are pretty fun. Um, getting to like. So I would like to be a paramedic mm-hmm. and getting to learn from the patients that I take, not necessarily like uh, getting to quote unquote diagnose what's going on with them, but being able to look at a cardiac rhythm and be like, oh, that's what this is. Or being able to go. I think that's what that is. I'll ask a medic later what that's what that actually was. But which happens a lot more often than what you'd really hope for it to. Oh, yeah. More frequently than I care to admit. It happens to me like crazy. But I don't know, like. I wouldn't necessarily say there's a a version of medical that I like over others. I can tell you that there are ones that I dislike. I don't like pediatric calls. I was fine with them up until I had kids. And then after that, it's just like, no, thank you. I agree with that. I don't mind taking like the not serious pediatric calls. But as soon as they hit serious, I go into like an anxiety attack of like, oh, God, what could happen? Kids are more susceptible to if it's respiratory, then they could have a heart attack. Uh they could stop breathing. They could do all this. The same things that could happen to any adult we take. It's irrational, but it's one of those things where it's like, these people haven't lived a life enough to deserve what they're going through. Not to say that everybody, and if an adult is sick, they deserve to be that way. But there's a level of innocence that doesn't correlate. So I, I just... 
I like what I do. 90% of the calls we do are medical. And I enjoyed being able to critically think about what's going on, what could change, what's probably not going to happen, what could happen. That's my, that's my two cents. So my favorite would have to be obviously structure fires. So there's a level of, um, and unless you've been in a full, um, well, I wouldn't say fully involved, fully involved when everything in the tenable space is actually on fire. So there's a level of peace, believe it or not, on a fire, on a structure fire. If you go into a room, say, let's just say it's a training, training room. Okay. Right. And you go in and you pop the door, you know, you pop the door, you go in and you see rollover, which is where the fire starts crawling up the wall and fingering across the ceiling and starts catching the, uh, the gas. Mm -hmm. So the way, I don't know if, you guys know how actu- how fire actually is, like what fire is and how it actually combusts. See, I'm but it's just, not the material itself that combusts. Yeah, I don't know much about like fire. <clears throat> so when it comes to pyrolysis, you have the fire triangle, which is um, fuel, oxygen, and a sustainable chemical chain reaction. So when those three things come together, you have to have a fuel, which is always going to be gas. So you heat up a substance to the point where it does what's called off gassing, Mm -hmm. say carpet. If I hold a lighter to it and it catches fire, that's not the carpet burning. The, what you see that's black behind it is it basically deteriorating. Mm -hmm. So all the gases and stuff are actually leaving the carpet. There's no flame actually touching the carpet. It actually kind of levitates. You can see the you can see a good example of it if you blow out a candle, and then light the smoke. Mm-hmm. I do that a lot. Yeah. So, and all smoke is is unburnt fuel, unspent fuel. Um. So there's a level of peace when you start seeing that happen across the ceiling. It just like, there's a whole another level of just wow, you know. So what I instantly think about when you say something like that is almost like backdrafts. Because backdrafts are a whole nother beast. In my mind, the way I've always seen backdrafts is whenever you allow the oxygen to fuel with the smoke. So you know how a backdraft actually works? To an extent, not probably to. So the way it works is you've got heat and fuel in the room. Okay, you have a massive amount of heat and fuel in the room, Mm -hmm. but there's no oxygen. So you don't have pyrolysis. So when you open up a door or a window or you introduce like you can. It's been told to me so many times, but I've never seen a backdraft in person. They've mm-hmm. always showed us videos in class. Patrick can, Swayze has. <laughs> is, is that a movie? Backdraft? backdraft is two movies. Yeah, the second one was. Uh, it was mainly for like. A backstory kind of. Yeah. No, not even. It was more of. Um, if I remember right, it was more of the fire investigative side. Yeah. It, yeah. Because it was Patrick Swayze's son who investigated fires with a gun. I was was like, well, actually, a a lot of a lot of investigators do use a gun because they have arresting powers. Okay, I actually, I I thought that was all just kind of fake. You know how that goes with movies. Most of the time, they they will. Okay, Dad. Oh, wow. Most of the time, uh, almost all of the time, they have arresting powers, so they, they have their peace officer. Okay. So, um, the way backdraft works is you don't have oxygen in the environment, so the way it kills firefighters is you enter, they pop one, they show up on scene, and you always got that one guy's like wanting to break shit. Shows up, busts a window, introduces oxygen in that environment, then it causes an explosion because there's too much fuel and too much heat. And usually a good indicator is black windows. Mm-hmm. If it's completely stained black windows, that's a good indicator. And you really should vent, enter, and search. So you vent high, you go to the roof, you cut a hole in the roof, you let all of the gases escape, and then you open your front door and you go in. So it, it causes less fuel, more oxygen. Or it causes less fuel and heat 
and you can introduce oxygen so it's unbalanced enough to where it can't sustain pyrolysis. So, okay, I don't have much background in firefighting other than wildland firefighting, which you'd never see a backdraft. Well, you should have known about the fire triangle then. Yes. Right. So, and the tetrahedron, which is no, no longer taught, by the way. Yeah, I don't think we were ever taught that. The fire tetrahedron? Yeah. So, when you go into the structure side of it, I guess is the best way to word that. Um, is that why they always you, touch you, the door first to feel for heat? No, that's just to see if there's any, if there's a massive amount of heat on the other side of that door, you can tell that there, that might be the fire room. Okay. So you can tell if I'm, if I'm going through a building and I'm feeling doors, mm-hmm. I can tell the hotter it gets, the closer I'm getting to the fire. Okay. If you don't have to open up a room and, which when you open up a room, it causes extension. Mm-hmm. You're creating another vat. You're creating a vacuum in that area. Yeah. Cause uh, all fire needs oxygen and right. And it's going to go to where the oxygen is. Yeah. So if you keep doors closed and that's why everybody and the fire service preaches to kids, keep your bedroom door closed and everything. Cause it'll keep you sealed off from other shit. Um, and why most schools keep their door closed when, they're in, in session. It's not so much as for the noise, but they're they're told they need to keep their doors closed so that way they can section off the school. Um, so if you feel a door, you don't have to open up that door if you feel no heat. Now, if you get to the fire room and you're like, okay, well, it's crawling over this way to the door that I didn't feel any heat, that's when you can justify going into that room. Mm-hmm. So you open the least amount, door, amount of doors as possible. But the reason structure fires are my favorite call is because of the peace when you go inside of a building and all you hear is crackling, popping, and you see just it's unlike anything else in the world when you see rollover. So rollover is when it hits the top of the ceiling. And it it looks like a wave almost. Almost. Yeah. But it's all that gas and stuff that that unburnt uh, unburnt fuel smoke catching fire. And it'll start doing what's called fingering. And it looks like a bunch of fingers coming across the ceiling. And then sometimes it'll catch a pocket of that smoke and it'll just flash across the ceiling. It's it's a whole nother experience that unless you've been in a structure fire, whether you wanted to or not, you wouldn't understand. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not big on fire. That's one of those things that when I was in basic school, uh, I was going for a degree, which I regret not getting. But they were like. Well, you got to do fire next. I'm like, I really don't want to do fire. They were like, well, instead you can do intermediate and just get your degree that way. You'll have to make your own degree, which I opted not to do because I didn't think anyone would take serious. But I just did not want to do fire stuff. That wasn't my goal in life. It wasn't something I ever had the itch to do. Right. So you got your stuff at the same college, right? Yeah. Okay, so when you go through your paramedic, they should be able to pull up your past records and you can actually. It doesn't just leave. No, I know that, but it's. You can finish that and get an actual degree. I think I'll have to do extra classes on top of that, but I I probably will end up doing that. There's one extra class. You have to write a paper. Well, I haven't. Well, I haven't done speech. I dropped out of medical terminology. I dropped out of English. Because I just wanted to focus on getting my certificates. Medical terminology is no longer part of the fire science degree. No, I know that now. But then it was like my counselor was like, well, you need this for medic school so you understand things. And to be honest with you, yeah, it's it's all all about money. But to sit there and watch somebody read a slide while I'm reading it did not teach me anything. Did I I assume you got your anatomy and physiology. Yeah, you have to have that to go to paramedic. No, I had a uh, human organism. Okay, well. You have to have both anatomy and physiology and then human organisms now. Not to go to medic. I already talked to the yeah, medic instructor. No, it's they, just human organism. They, they switched forced it. You can, you can go either way. Yeah, they accept either one. Yeah. I had to have both. I don't know why. I fell into a loophole because where I took... Um, biology through my other degree which was animal biology they counted that as my human organism well they would rather accept that than not get the money from you going to that going through that program it will make any loophole work 
as long as they're getting money for you going through a program. Yeah, the only two classes I need to get my degree is the um, paramedic and speech. And I got my degree. And then you got to do probably Cornerstone or whatever. I did that when I That's was there. That's where you start. Okay. Yeah, I already did Cornerstone when I was there. I think they call it something different now. Yeah, that... I it's like know. an orientation is all it is. Yeah, yeah, it was like, this is how you use Google Drive. This is how you use, how you write a research paper. And I'm like, what is this, fucking high school again? Yeah. I paid somebody when I was in college to to sign my name on the paper. I never <laughs> went a day to Cornerstone and I still got the credit. Yeah. Well, that class burnt my asshole so bad because there was one, the typical group project where... You're the only one doing anything. And uh, so I did the project on my own. The guy that I was supposed to do it with said he was going to get pictures because it was over the music festival that they have. They had at the college. Right. And he was supposed to be there getting pictures. Didn't even go to it. Didn't get pictures. Didn't send me anything. Uh, And I had what I could get from that. And it came time to present and he flat out refused to even go up there with me because he didn't, he he just said that, well, I didn't contribute anything to this. Um, and it's not fair to you. And I'm like, it's not fair to me to have to present it alone. Right. So I went up there, presented it alone and did not get an A because it wasn't complete. <laughs> I ended up with like a C on that. I was like, how is that my fucking fault? Yeah, but anyway, the reason, the whole reason why fire calls, like structure fires is my favorite call is because there's just, you get to see a whole nother world that other people don't. That's why I like diving so much. How often do you get to go and like pet fish? Have you ever pet a fish? Yeah. While diving? Yeah. I I went there. They're not scared of you. Really? They're not scared of you. Bluegill are mean, by the way. Yes. Are they really? Yes, they are. They will attack you. When I was down hmm. in the Bahamas, we did scuba. And we also did the snorkeling and that stuff. And I remember what was it? A nurse shark, I want to say, mm-hmm. came up and like swam right by us and Nudgy stuff. and whatnot. Yeah. And it was like, it was the weirdest thing ever. Yet I would not trade that experience for anything else. Uh, I tell you what, you go into a lake or pond, mm-hmm. bluegill or mean. They'll come up and they'll attack you. They'll hit your they'll hit your goggles. Really? Yeah. I had to swap bluegill away when I was diving for my checkoff dive. Yeah, fuck that guy. Uh, uh, they tell you not to mess with the the wildlife, but I smacked a couple fish. <laughs> Fair enough. Would you fail if you messed with the wildlife? Hundred percent honest to. with you. I didn't know if you did that or not. My dive instructor was just leading the way. We're just all following. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, hey. He didn't give a shit. I got a feeling I know who your dive instructor oh, was. Oh, we all know who my dive instructor was. But yeah. at the same time, um, he, throughout class, was like, I've seen you guys diving. He's like, I'm not the least bit worried about you guys. He's like, let's just go dive for fun. And they use it as your checkoff dive. That's what we did. Fuck yeah. Did two dives. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. I loved when he te- taught our uh, ropes and rappelling. I absolutely love that class. I would do that again any day of the week. What about you, Tristan? What's your favorite type of call? So I go Mm -hmm. back and forth because of my card level. It's kind of harder for a lot of calls. But my absolute probably favorite on top of everything is respiratory. Where you hate, I love. I love just that thought of actually being able to do that i'm gonna do the same thing we that i did to the old supervisor where we work what's that show up early in the morning having an asthma attack (laughs) (laughs) all right tristan just get my shit i'll i'll write about it yeah like i time i'm just sitting there hacking (laughs) fuck can't breathe (laughs) and he's just sitting there he's like Dude, you all right? I was like, I need to do an ebb. <laughs> <laughs> I need drugs now, please. <laughs> no, I, I don't know what it is. Like, even when I did innovations for school, 
I just absolutely loved that and being able to see what I was actually doing on a monitor aspect, like through CO2, SpO2, all of that, and just seeing what was, if I was doing it correctly and how I was doing it. Something about that just made me fall in love with respiratory. See, I totally understand where you're coming from, but like, there are fine lines for me. Like certain things don't gross me out, but people's mouths and lungs are the grossest fucking part of their body. That's where you, you're more likely to catch an infection from somebody. That's where you're more likely to catch a disease, dealing with their sputum, dealing with blood coming from that area. Think of that area as a human fog machine. Yeah. No, I agree with that completely. That's anytime that I've ever done anything airway, typically I'm wearing a mask or glasses. How often do we actually do something at our job? I mean, not not often at all. It's just like you get those patients that we have to transport and they're like, yeah, you got to suction their trach. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I will say I'm not. My God, does it disgust the hell out of me? See, that doesn't bother me. I I do hate doing trach patients. Like, I get it. It's not their fault or anything like that. Like, it is what it is. But that is probably my least favorite part of respiratory is the trachs. I will say another one of my favorite types of calls are when we get called to give IVs to like nursing home patients. Because the nurses can't do it. And then you just roll in there, get it first try, walk away like, hey, this is where it's at. No issues. Go ahead and do your thing. Uh, You need another one. Just give me a call. Whatever. Just give me a call. I'll just get my slingshot out and I'll shoot it from the station. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really fun to one, not have to transport, which I get that that sounds bad. But getting to do skills without transporting, without having to deal with all the paperwork involved, getting to do the part of the job that I love the most without the taxing portion of it. So why don't really you get rewarding. your medic and become a, a um, tech? AR. Yeah. Because one, techs don't get paid worth a shit. Two, techs are being phased out, yeah. especially in the hospital network we're near. They don't really hire new medics to do that kind of stuff. They're just now getting rid of the exception of letting medics work in like the ICU and stuff that they had for the pandemic. And I couldn't sit in one place for an entire shift. Yeah, you're usually doing triage. Yeah, I mean, our job, while it can get annoying and it feels like you're running all shift, at least I get to see something new all shift. Right. No, I get that completely like. My office is literally the road. Exactly. Yeah. Now, respiratory has just got a sweet spot for me. And then a close second is like trauma. Because it's one of the few things that is a basic. Is one of the few things that I can actually have an array of skills that I can use. So it's kind of like a bread and butter for a basic, if that makes any sense. Because there's just so much more that I can do. Yeah, they teach you in basic school a bunch of medical stuff, but by the time you realize that, you know, what's going on with them, yeah, as a basic, I can tell that they're having a heart attack or something. But what am I going to do? Now I got to call ALS. Yeah. yeah. And then it's out of my hands, so I don't really have to treat that anyway, but they still teach you the treatments and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Where, I mean, honestly, basic school is just trauma school with some extra knowledge behind it. The only reason I wanted to go to basic school is to have trauma experience for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's for another episode. How many things, how many more things for a trauma patient can I do compared to a medical patient? Easily another 20 different things. I mean, you can do everything you can do for a medical patient plus fixing limbs and bleeding. Exactly. I mean, it's just adding more tools to your belt, which I totally understand. But the level I'm at, I'm allowed to use more advanced things. I'm allowed to give an IV. I'm allowed to give saline. I'm allowed to give dextrose. I can give pain meds. I can do everything that you can do as a basic. And then some. And then some. So when it comes down to it, I think medical's better. Just because at my level, I can do things more effectively to better the outcome of the patient. No, I fully agree. The other big thing is like when I was going through my school... My favorite thing ever was 
needle decompression. I thought that was the coolest thing, how the anatomy works with a needle decompression. Like, Bro just wants to stab somebody. Bro wants me to stab somebody. Hey, I've given you every opportunity. Five fucking times. He's getting, I mean, we've talked about this before, but five fucking times. It's like, are you, you going you gonna to pop the chest? No, I'm not going to pop no, the fucking Tristan. chest. <laughs> but it's never been like an illegitimate, like this person doesn't absolutely need it. Like it, it's been like, they probably could have used it, but it's also like, he's living his ALS dreams through me and I feel it constantly. I'm just just waiting for the guy to get his medics so that I can live my ALS dreams through him. But here's just, the thing. I, I just imagine. Once he, once he says no, I usually don't. Yeah, no, he doesn't pry. He doesn't go, are you sure? You really should. He's like, okay, yeah. No, you you, you know better. Whatever. Not and saying that I know better. No, but. like, for instance, the trauma that we took into the ER up north with me, you, and another guy. Mm-hmm. I listened to lung sounds. I was like, Hey, lung sounds are diminished on the left side. Do you want the needle decompression kit? <laughs> you needle decompress them plot twist. They had lung cancer and they only have one lung. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he's got two. <laughs> and he's like, now he has subcutaneous fucking air. And then he's like, no, we're pulling into the ER. It'll be better if they just do it. Okay. Sounds it, good. It's honestly like, I'm not saying I'm not confident in it. I've never done it. It's something that it's I can risky. do. It, I'll be straight up honest. It is risky. Because if you're wrong, there's a lot that can go wrong. If you're right, they'd probably feel a lot better. But at the end of the day, I can get them somewhere where they can either do a needle decompression or just put in a chest tube. Yeah. So I would rather err on the side of caution that it isn't what it w- was unless there was so, like the obvious signs of like jugular vein dis deviation things that are like imminent life threats rather than you mean trachea deviation yeah tracheal deviation and you're thinking jugular distension yeah jugular vein distension was what i was thinking for some reason but the now i lost my train of thought i'm sorry it just (laughs) deviation yeah but um if there aren't those apparent life threats and in that specific situation, his SBO two was low, but we just threw him on a non breather and it came up to like 94. If you can do the least invasive thing, it's the better for the patient. That, I entirely no, I, agree. I fully agree. I just, Tristan's just over here. Like I'm so hard. <laughs> Patient's just like, what? He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no like, Tristan's very, uh, aggressive. I wouldn't say that. He's just, he has his, I'm not trying no, to dog I, on you. He's got his mind out here because he knows that this is the end goal. Like if it goes to here, this is something that needs to go, which is really nice to have so that, you know, like I try to think too many steps ahead. Yeah. And, and then I'm sitting there uh, like, well, we need to treat these first before we can even consider that. Yeah. Like I try to lay out everything as a clear cut of, Hey, this is what's going on for you that I've checked so far. And here's the treatments I know of that we can do for that. Whether you want to do them is not, it uh, is either way. I'm here to help you. Right. I mean, generally like it's nice to have just because I know where we're going Mm -hmm. and to know that he knows that, Hey, this might become an option and be prepared for it is really nice to have. Because you never know when it comes to a trauma which way you're going ahead, especially if you're the first one taking care of them and then not the hospital. Yeah. Like, who knows where this may end up by the time we get there. He tends to be the far-sighted guy on the truck, and I tend to be the nearsighted guy. I like, think that's why we work well in that aspect, though, is like we yeah. see both ends of the spectrum and what we need to do. But what a lot of people lose sight of when it comes to emergency medical service as you were to stabilize the patient long enough to get them to higher care. Oh, no, I fully agree. The patient. That's not your primary primary goal. I fully agree. It's just one of those things that I try to look at as, Hey, this is the road we are looking to head down. Just be aware. 
Because if we do head down this road, we're going to have to stabilize this part. Yeah, but you throw a dart and a doctor doesn't like that idea at all, mm-hmm. you're in trouble. And, and I fully agree that you should get medical control before you throw a dart. Right. Like, it's nothing to just call in the hospital and be like, hey, this is what's going on. What is your opinion? That's another thing to cover your ass. Yeah. Well, that's a big problem with, like, the schooling of, like, EMS is... There's such a finite amount of time to teach you everything you need to know. And their main goal is to make sure that you know the extremes and it's not so heavily focused on, Hey, make sure you slow down and start small. Consider the options leading to that. Like I had a big problem of when I first started going into things like, man, I've never done this before. I, I don't know what to do if this happens and I should have just focused in and gone, well, I know how to treat that. I know how to treat that. Treat the small things first, and sometimes it fixes the bigger things. Yeah. Work work from small to big. Treat Mm -hmm. the underlining causes, and generally, the big things go away. See, what I personally do, which a lot of people don't agree with at the fire department anyway, is if somebody's having troubles with their O2 levels, I'm not going to throw them on a non-rebreather. I'm going to throw them on a nasal cannula and see how they do for a couple minutes. Because the less less oxygen I introduce into the body especially for the COPD patient, the better. I'm that way to an extent. It depends on where their oxygen level is well, at. If they're hitting like high to low 80s, like the 80s oh, range. Oh, yeah, no doubt. It's an honorary breather, no doubt. But if they're hitting like 92, 94, I will start out with a nasal cannula. Let's see if it's just the COPD and bring them back up. Yeah. See, when I went through basic, they preached into your head, if you're giving O2, it's 15 liters, non breather. Regardless of what's happening, and the minute I stepped foot into intermediate, everything changed. Right now, we're talking about making it standard that all basics have waveform capnography, that they have these things that are involved in respiratory. And we're still teaching our basics that 15 liters non-rebreather is the best option for every run you go on that is respiratory. That can cause a normal person to stop breathing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, why they, I start with a nasal cannula. I mean, and, it's always better to start less is more. Yeah, I can and always go bigger. I can't always go smaller. I, I know a lot of people hate it, but a, another great tool to use if you do have a COPD or is a Venturi because you're not getting that full percentage of oxygen to them. It lets off some of that percentage. You'd be surprised on how many departments don't actually carry that. I know. I get that completely. A lot of people don't carry it. But it is it is an unused tool that you don't see a lot. And I'll be honest, it was a long time before I really understood how, how to set one up. I had never heard of one until I started where we work. Like because I walked in and I'm like, used. what the hell is that thing? The only time they're ever really used is when somebody's on a trach. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they're mostly used in hospitals. Our I company think- has them just because hospitals use them. Mm-hmm. A lot of departments don't use them because... If it's a basic crew, they're giving 15 liters non-rebreather. If it's a medic crew, they're probably giving nasal cannula or they're intubating. Or the blow-by masks. I didn't know those existed until I worked where we were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like, the that was never mask. To me. Or eye gels. I had no clue eye gels were a thing until I worked. Uh, I had to train we someone on an eye gel today. Uh, Dude. I don't like them. This motherfucker. <laughs> I love you. And I, I didn't realize I didn't it. realize it either until I started trying. But he sets up a CPR mannequin. For me to show these people how to use an eye gel. And I just thought it was an airway mannequin because he's so like, I got I. the mannequin set up. I'm like, oh, OK, I didn't know we had an airway I mannequin. Didn't, I didn't pay attention. So I'm starting to shove this in. And I'm like, this this isn't going in well. Is this even meant for this? And he's like, no, no, that's a CPR mannequin. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. What, so what you're supposed to do is shove this in till it stops. Uh, give it a couple bags. Make sure you're getting equal rise and follow the chest. If you're getting that, you secure it and you're good to go. Suction's right here for vomit. I was taught King and Combi tube, and that was it. Exactly. That's what I was taught until they started going towards these LMA Nobody carries a King tube anymore. What's that? Nobody carries a King tube. Benton, we do. Really? Yes, and I am so thankful for it. I love King tubes. Like, in my opinion, the... the, I can innovate, so... The eye gel is (laughs) one of those things that, yes, in theory, it's a great idea. But in actual practical use, they are shit. With like crush 
injury to the face, absolutely, I'd still use a combi it, over an it, eye gel every or, day. Or so the other issue I've ran into one time, the one time I've ever used an eye gel, patient vomits, it floats right out. Was it secured? Yes. It's, it's already lubricated. Stick that bitch back in. Yeah. No, I'm joking. That's but, a joke. Jesus Christ. That's a but, joke. <laughs> if you have a patient that's in a colder temperature, it does not work properly because it's supposed to form through heat of the body. So you take a patient that is a little bit colder, it doesn't form correctly or get that correct suction seal, and they will float right out. What? What are you talking about? Like hypothermia? Yeah. Secure them tighter. Yeah, you just slightly, you give it enough to where it, you get recoil on the syringe, and if you need to add more later, you can. Or they don't have uh, balloons yeah. on ours. Yeah. Most of them don't have they don't balloons. Have they have just the straps? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a you strap system. You understand the issue now? The the ones with balloons are so much more expensive. We're talking about the uh, eye gels. Eye gels. Um, eye gels don't have balloons. The king yeah. combis do. Yeah, yes. I was going to say, I, I thought we were still on the king combis. No, no, no. I'm just talking eye gels. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, you talking I, about the inflation I of balloons from body heat? or No. no. <laughs> if, you, if you're relying on that, there's going to be some issues. Yeah, you might <laughs> pop one. <laughs> yeah. No, I fully agree. I love kings and combis much more than Nigel. I personally have a preference to combis, but you'll never see those again. No, because, I mean, they're supposed to be the fail-safe, and they were the, the I think they came after the king tube, because too many people were having issues with the king tube. I think that they were first. They were first. Combis were, were first. They're old yeah. as shit. Because combis, like you could king, accidentally though. get a innovation as a basic, because you have the two different ports. Is it really an accident? I mean, you're purposefully shoving it in. I mean, you're either going to get it in the right area that it's supposed to be, or you're going to innovate. And you either way, you've got an airway. Yeah. Which is why people like it, because more often than not, no matter what you do, you're going to get an airway. Yeah. Like you have a double either way. But well, with the combi tube, you have the possibility of still going and putting air in the stomach, too. Yes. Because you got the the balloon that goes above and below the epiglottis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I love that my uh, department county that I work with. You already called them there by their name. Yeah, I didn't mean to. Okay, I'll edit that out. But I love that the department I'm with has combi. They not seem combi, old king. school, and I like that king. Uh, you have no idea. Do they still have jaw screws? Jaw screws. Okay, no, that, no. that answers my question. We no. have uh, you know, carry, kids. Do you carry meat tenderizer and jaw screws. No, we we carry kids and uh, he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> we have a scoop stretcher. Ah, those are still more common than what you think. His his version of old school is them not being able to afford to upgrade their equipment. Not really though, because some of the old school stuff I like better than new. It's because you were taught on it. There's yeah. there's a reason it's old school though. I agree. Because it was determined to not be effective. You know, I there's certain things that I like old school that just seem to work better in my mind. And then there's some things that are old school that I do not like, like nasal cannula. Everybody just needs to get a blow by. Just you don't need to have a rocket up somebody's nose. That just dries them out, makes them uncomfortable. They're sneezing, they're fiddling with it all the time. Just We're talking about the guy by. who just said he doesn't like non-rebreathers because nasal cannulas <laughs> exist. A blow by is different, though. <laughs> no, I agree. The the one exception I find to that is a nasal cannula with end title on it. This man and his end title. You should never start treatment with end title. Well, no, I'm not saying that, but... It's a good indicator. It's a good yeah. indicator, but you don't start with that. Well, that always falls under the whole... Treat your patient, not your monitor. Exactly. Like I watched a, a nurse in the ER explaining to a student that because their blood pressure was like crazy low or something. And he was like, look at the patient. If they look normal, you could probably determine that that vital is not accurate. And right. You should probably take it again. Right. And that's a big thing with relatively new people. They're so... Oh my God, the monitor's the, right. The, the, as soon as they see something wrong, their cogs start spinning at an alarming rate of, oh shit, oh shit, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Who do I need to call? Instead of... How many times have we gotten an E-series that's trying to tell us that 
somebody's in like cardi- cardiac arrest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I've gotten so, to the point that I don't let it even like monitor it. Right. Like I, I physically look at it and monitor it myself. See, so the other night when all three of us were on that night shift and I was with the paramedic that night, we were going down the road and the monitor started reading a heart rate of 250. It's common with irregular heartbeats. And I'm like, that can't be right. Like, this doesn't make sense. So I walk up to the patient. I'm like, how are you feeling? She's like, I feel really tired all of a sudden and just kind of like not right. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm going to check your pulse real quick. And I feel on a wrist and it's like, I can't count it. And I'm like, well, this is a problem now. And the blood pressure just read at 84 over something, uh, 84 over something. So I go up front and I tell my medic partner, hey, we got an issue. Heartbeat or pulse rate is this on the monitor. I felt it. I can't count it. So I'm going to assume it's pretty close to correct. Especially and, with the pressure being what it is. Yeah. And she's like, okay, so we're in a, that construction zone. So she pulls off at the next available exit, hits this big ass bump. Heart rate goes back to 70. I'm like, I'd still put the medic in the back uh, after she, that because the there's possibility the possibility that happened got, again. The medic got back there and I had her hooked up to the four lead and everything before she got back there, you know, just getting that stuff in preparatory. And she got back there and I figured it was going to be like the tip of not figured, but like at this point I was like, eh, I can still take this because I have that mentality of like, I'm comfortable with it at still. Medic looks at me and goes, I'm ready to go. I'm like, uh, Oh, okay. Hey, let's uh, not uh, be rude and call him, call her a he. What'd I say? You said him. She would be very upset with you if you called her a him. I didn't even notice I did. Yeah. Not to derail your story, sorry. No. I thought I called her to her. Sorry. No. Sorry, lady. <laughs> sorry. But she was fantastic. No issues at all no, after that. She was that. a great medic. Yeah. Like, she had no problem, like, getting back there and help. Everything that I, I do at the fire department is manual. We don't have monitors. I've gotten pretty good at doing a manual blood pressure. Oh, it's a it's a skill that we all need to have. It's a skill that I I I'm used to be in the boat that basics should also have a monitor when I first started working where we work. We're all getting monitors now, so. Well, yeah. it's kind now, of a plague too now. Yeah. But now now that I've done nothing but manuals, I trust manuals over a monitor 100%. Yeah, well, I mean, should, I did before. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I want the possibility. I want to have the ability to do capnography and whatnot. I've been treating patients for the past year and a half without any of that. Yeah. And it's been A-OK. Honestly, I feel like my treatment's better without a machine involved. I guarantee you it is. So, Mm -hmm. but like monitors are great tools. Don't get me wrong. They, They help give you a guideline of like, hey, maybe something's not right. But you always have to double check that it's technology. It's not always going to be right. It wasn't built to be perfect. It was built to be like, Hey, they're having SVT. You should probably shock or it was built to be, let's get a guideline of what it's going to be the whole ride. Just so you don't have to spend valuable time getting a manual every 20, 30 minutes. Right. At least in our cases, Mm -hmm. but you're sure your first vital should always be manual. I agree. Your last one should probably be manual, maybe a manual in between, but to have that constant set of data is really nice. But now if it's just a bull crap, you know, transport, like they're going for like psychosis or something. I think that that determines case by case. If they're easily uh, made mad or whatever, if like, Seeing, Best treatment is to leave them alone. I mean, there's a lot of times where, like, even looking somebody in the eyes in those situations hisses them off. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fuck around with that. There's a lot of times where I'll be like, hey, you're allowed to say no. It's one of the few times you're allowed to say no in these situations because I don't want to fuck around with you. You don't want me to take your vitals. I will not take your vitals. Right. But those are the kind of people that you need to be honest up front with. Like, you have the right to say no to this one thing. 
you want me to take your vitals? I mean, it's not good practice to assume. Well, one, assume that they don't want it done. Cause a lot of the times they'll be like, yeah, actually I would like to know what those are. And then sometimes they're just like, fuck off. It's like, you do your thing. You take a nap. We're going to go up to wherever we're going. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. I, if they. If they're visually like visually and audibly upset. I've always found it best practice to just talk to them. They just want somebody to talk to you. There for the longest time. Psych calls were one of my favorite calls because there was a lot of like cool people. Well, yeah, you meet a lot of cool people, but there was a lot of like, so I dealt with a lot of depression before I realized what it was. And so I kind of related with these people. Like I've had some suicidal ideations in the past. I've dealt with family issues in the past, understanding where they're coming from and knowing that I might not have done the things that they had done, but understanding where they came from. And having that ability to talk to someone and maybe make their day a little bit better on their way to wherever we're going is super reward rewarding. Mm-hmm. I like our job because we get to talk to people. Right. We see people a lot longer than 15 to 20 minutes. Now, see, when we have those patients, I'm also like the type of person that goes, hey, I just got the call to come take you here. This is all the hospital. I went in doubt. I blame the hospital. Now, on the flip side of that. I am tired of the hospital not telling them they are going somewhere. They've stopped doing that from the majority. Actually, on our little MDTs, it'll literally tell you patient has been made aware. I think we've had that issue one too many times. Because when you go and tell them they're going somewhere and they don't even get to talk about it or where they're going to go and they have that realization, hey, you're going somewhere. You don't got a choice now. Which they should always have a choice in where they go. I agree to an extent. I mean, there's there's so many. It causes a lot of issues. I agree. But there's a lot of like barriers to cross of our healthcare system being the way it is. Some places won't accept you because you don't have the right insurance. This place won't accept you because you do have insurance. But update your patient. No, I totally agree. That is where they fail. Because they don't want to deal with them. No, because if they don't tell them, they don't have to worry about them being combative. They don't have to call security down. But that only makes our job harder, makes our job more dangerous. And then they give us shit for not wanting to take the combative patient when they have a whole ER worth of people that are able to subdue this patient. They have security, with the ability to subdue this patient, and they think it's OK to put us in what is extensively a sardine can one on one. Two people in a van going down the highway at 70 miles. An and hour. it's still one on one because one of you is driving. And I'm Like, we're taught that you need at least one person per patient limb if you're trying to restrain restrain them. Yeah. And how the hell am I supposed to do that on the side of the highway with at least 30 minutes at the minimum of someone being around me that could help? So I. I've been through a couple. Situations where there had been trainings after the run. And. Um, one of the things that was mentioned to me, uh, in a couple of the trainings is if they want out of the vehicle, go to the next safest spot, let them out of the vehicle and keep them in sight. Don't, don't like actively try to restrain them, keep them in sight, make sure they keep themselves safe. Right. And call the authorities. Yeah. So that way the proper, proper people can come and restrain them, have more people, more backup. Like obviously they're not gonna have a weapon when they're when you're on a truck. You Hopefully. Hope. You hope yeah. depends how great security is that day. So you're going down the highway, they start getting combative, and you just hands up, you you know, you keep your hands where you can readily use them if you need to. But you tell them, hey, if you want out of the truck, we just let us stop first. Let them out of the truck, nobody gets hurt. And you keep them in sight and make sure they don't run into traffic or anything like that. You make sure you, you follow at a safe distance distance. I, I totally agree. I mean, there's been situations in the past where I've made mistakes of trapping them in like. Yeah. One, then one with Tristan. Fight. But then there was one for me where I decided that I was going to keep them in and it ended up in an all out brawl. I got scratched up, whatever. 
OSP ended up showing up and they took the patient the rest of the way because I was like, look, they, they assaulted me. I'm not taking them any further than where we're at. Right. Receiving facility was really pissed off because I didn't even follow the OSP guy there. And I'm like, I come first. Right. I have injuries that I need to attend to. I'm not going to follow the guy who's got them in the back of a cruiser that he can't get out of. Right. But he's been searched. He's in the back of a cruiser where the only weapon to himself is in, is his, is himself. Yeah. But that guy was nuts. But I mean, I still enjoy site calls for the most part. I mean, it's, it's tedious. It's hard, but it's so even harder call, for that patient. So you call him honey. Yeah. Don't call him honey or sweetie. Or no, uh, darlin. Darlin. That's I called what... him. Did, did I tell you about that? Mm-mm. Called a patient darlin. She, she immediately came back with, I ain't your fucking darling. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to use that one for a hot minute. <laughs> that, re- that reminds me of the, uh, the sundowners patient at the, uh, one of the, the, um, nursing homes in Lancaster where my previous partner before you. <laughs> oh, the story we already, yeah. yeah. Oh, the grandma's cookies. No, 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 it was, um, we walked in and he asked her like, Hey, can we get by you? Looks him dead in his eyes and says, I'd like to see you try. Oh, yeah. that one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> mm. I'd no. like to see you like that old lady was mean. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm a little bit more on edge. Cause you just never know what's going through their mind. You're like sometime. me. You're a little guy. Yeah. Like it's, I'm the big guy that likes to piss him off and put the little guy in the back. Yeah. So. I'm a little bit more on edge and I just, I don't want to say I'm afraid, but just I watch everything and every little movement at that point forward. Cause I just, you don't know. Right. So but, your favorite call is EMS. Your favorite call is EMS. Mine's fire. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well that tracks. Cause I mean, you work at a fire department. I mean, that's what you love. I mean, you, I definitely you, choose that over pay. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely choose that over pay. We've noticed. Yeah. I don't judge you. I a mean, lot of people do. Tristan's like EMS and wildlife and stuff. So, I mean, he tracks. And then me, I, I only do EMS. So, yeah, like if I could do. I don't want to say missing persons, but if I got sent out Search there, and rescue. Yeah. If I, I, I would love that. I would have no problem with that. I got a spot for you or even, uh, um, we'll put you through class. <laughs> He's looking for more people so he doesn't have to get mandated. Yeah. I don't no. blame him. And I the don't other get mandated thing, anymore. The other oh, thing good. I loved was like cliffside rescues through school. I got that, a place for you that I absolutely loved. I don't want to go into you burning drive a Humvee through the woods. I got you. I don't want to go into burning buildings. I don't have a care to do that. Well, good thing that we got people that we like to keep outside. He likes his, he likes to be the, uh, he wants I'll, to be the task force. If you got it, bro, if you, if you want to stay outside and pump every shift, I don't care. Cause I will fight somebody for a nozzle. Do I have to have a fire card? Yes. Yeah. You do have to do a training burn. Yeah. You don't even want to volunteer 36 yeah. hour class where you don't even see fire. Yeah. I, I just don't have any want or it's 36 need. hours. It's like four weekends. I just don't have. Buddy, I can't even, I can barely get him to pick up with me at work because he's too busy at his other job. I don't know. It, I did love that in school though. Cliffside rescues was, there was nothing more exhilarating and scary. Like that first time over the edge was the scariest thing in my life. It's always the first repel of the day. Yeah. First repel of the day always makes you pucker. Can we hear about your, uh, your repel of the other day. Oh, the one where I almost died. Yeah. Again? Just a, just Not a little again, bonus story. Little... Unless what are you, you talking about again? Unless you plan on using that for another episode. Well, you almost re- died uh, on the side of the burn b- tower. Oh, and... yeah, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that one. Uh, yeah. Just call I... back to eight, nine, ten, 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 certain first episode. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot about that one. I don't really think of that one that much. But no, the other day. Um, I had brand new gloves that I got from Walmart, like leather pong gloves. And I was mm-hmm. really excited to use them because they're super comfortable. The heart gloves. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay, cool. I'll try them out. 
short walls. Great. We were doing short walls all day. Uh, it was me and a buddy of mine that we mutually know. Um, mm-hmm. I think I know who you're talking about. His last name's my first, almost my first name. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we were out repelling and his sister and her friend was out there with us. And we were teaching them how to repel. Mm-hmm. And, um, we were going down short cliff faces all day. And then we go out to the 120 out at Big Springs. Oh, yeah. So the gloves were fine all day. Fine. I've all, I used them the past like two times when we were repelling. And I was like, hey, okay, cool. I'm going to go do this free hang 120 foot repel. Cool. Don't think nothing of it. Been down the side of that thing so many times. So I go over the edge like I normally do. Just quick, get my drop. You now you drop yeah. your, your initial three feet. You drop and then, you know, done. Good. Go. So I start going down about about a quarter of the way down. I start feeling heat in my palms. And I was using an eight. You're not stopping. Yeah. So the only it wasn't a rescue eight. It's yeah. a regular eight, a fourteen dollar black diamond regular eight. Yeah. And you I messed know up. <laughs> all you can do is slow down with a regular sized eight because it's literally a device like this big. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, it's. You can slow yourself down only so much. Right. And you're still, you're causing more friction at that point to slow yourself down. So I'm self-belaying because I'm the first one down the rope. I was the first one down the rope all day. I don't know why. All day, all day long, I was the first one down the rope belaying myself with a Prusik. Uh, I just put the Prusik above the eight and then lock it off to the same carabiner. So the whole time I'm using my guide hand to, you know, go down. Yeah, and self belay myself because I was always belaying all day. Mm-hmm. All day I was belaying, and I'm going down about a quarter of the way down. My palms start getting hot, and I'm like, okay. In one. my mind, <laughs> as I'm going down, in my mind, I'm thinking of one of two things. I was like, okay, it's either it's burning through this leather, or I for I don't I couldn't even figure it out. I was like, I, either I got something on my palms that I'm not supposed to have on my palms. Yeah. Or the leather's burning through. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that hot at that time. It was almost like, um, like you touch a plant, mm-hmm. like a certain plant, and just like it that, just burned like, like an itching burn. Yeah, I was like, okay, cool. I was like, I'll go down a little bit more. I said, I'll slow myself down, whatnot. Start slowing myself down, and um, I had the ability to get myself back out of the prusik. It wouldn't have been like I'd had to have to call Hawkins County to get me off this line. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going down. Guide hand on the prosec and palms start getting hot. I'm like, okay, start slowing down. Added more friction. I was like, okay, it's getting hotter. I was like, okay, this is a rope situation. I was like, the the rope is causing my hands to heat up. I was like, oh shit, these gloves are too thin. I'm only a quarter <laughs> of the way down of 120 foot, mm. and it's free hand. And that's when you realize that you're uh, shit out of luck. But at this moment, I have the thought of. Do I let the safety catch me and just hang there until I can get enough strength and it, my palms stop burning enough to where I get myself off the press and go the rest of the way down? Mm-hmm. Or do I just shoot down? Go down as quick as I possibly can. Oh, no. I bet you can guess which option he took. Yeah. Tristan, my arm was out here. Yeah. I went down quick. I burnt the abs. I, there was... um actual grooves in the palms of the gloves. I went down so quick. I burnt my hands to the point where I was done for the day. My palms were red. I had blisters in palms. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the situations like I, if that prosecutor wouldn't have stopped me, done. I was done. Because when you put your arm out that far, because I don't know if you've ever repelled James. No, I haven't. If you put your arm out that far, you have no friction. Mm-hmm. You're free falling. Mm-hmm. I was not, there's nothing holding me. There was no friction on the device. I'm just sliding down a rope. Mm-hmm. I, it's like, it's like almost like skydiving feels like. Right. And that's a very horrible feeling. Oh, I'm sure. So palms were cool. Once I got halfway down and I was like, okay, I'm going the rest of the way down quick. I was like, I'm just getting off this rope. Start going down, you know, free floating another 60 foot and towards the end. That's when it hit. Cause I had to stop myself mm. and shh. You could hear it going through my gloves. I could smell the fucking leather burning. <laughs> I was like, ah. And I hollered, up to, I hollered up to him. I was like, hey, 
he's like, what's happening? Because he seen me, you know, shaking my hands like, ah, and he's like, what's going on? I said, dude, I just burnt the shit out of my hands. He's like, well, you want to come up and do it again? I was like, no, I'm done for the day. (laughs) It's like, I'm out for the count. So that's the big thing when it comes to repelling. Most devices are traction devices. Am I incorrect with that? No, all track, all, all repelling devices are traction devices. Yes. It's friction. It's a friction device. Friction, a friction, a friction, friction. multiplier. So, um, yeah. the more ideal thing when you're going down anything over 60 foot is to have either an ATC, which causes more friction than an eight mm-hmm. or a rack, which is a bunch of bars. And if you load a rack the wrong way, you will die. Yes. So <laughs> yeah, very if you take, Two new people that don't know how to repel and you try to teach them how to repel on a rack, chances are you're going to have somebody hurt. Mm-hmm. So we weren't going to use a rack. We could have got one from the fire department. would have been no issue. Racks um, are really nice once you know how to use them. Dude, I'm 250 pounds and I don't need more than two bars. You can have up to like 12 bars in this rack and it's just every time you add a bar, you're adding more friction. I think we used you eights can, in school. You can use one of those bars hold a car Mm -hmm. so they're meant to pick people off lines yeah that was the big that's the big thing you use for cliffside rescues most people will use a rack yeah but that's one of those things just like an eight that if you go down with it you're not coming back up you go the rest of the way down oh yeah you can't like i don't know if i don't know of a situation where you can go back up the rope with a rack and if you can it would be really difficult oh yeah no doubt in that but it's also one of those things where there's also multiple safety measures when you do have somebody on board with you to just stop that. Because there's a lot more friction when you have multiple bars to slow you down, even if you lose control. But I only used my eight, my miniature eight, because, you know, I was re- I was uh, repelling then belaying because I use mm. I use my eight to belay. See, I use the eight. A couple times, I was never a huge, huge fan of them. I hate them. Yeah, like, they would do the job, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if I could use them every day. I'd rather belay with an ATC, but I personally don't own an ATC. Yeah, they're... They're not expensive, they're like 15 bucks, but I just don't own one. Yeah. Yeah, there's multiple different devices to use, though. It's it's kind of amazing. There's so many. There, you got eights, mini eights, rescue eights. You got bars. Uh, you got bars, racks. You've got IDs, pregrees, CNC, uh, CMCs. Um, you've got. Did I already say ID? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Petzl ID. And then you have uh, natural. What what's called uh, what? I've heard called as natural repelling where you wrap your body. Yeah. I, I'm never doing that. No. Because you're you're wrapping your body with the rope in a certain way and you just slide down the rope. No, thank you. Yep. No. Nope. Like, well, what was the topic again? <laughs> yeah, what was your favorite it. run? Oh. We just got onto the topic. Run of rope, right? Well, we just <laughs> got onto the topic because he wanted to know what it was and what's the best time to tell a story than on the podcast. Ain't that the truth. Yeah, I mean, technically, Clipside Rescues are a type of run that you could run into. Dude, I I had another Prusik on hand that I could have got myself out of that, but I couldn't guarantee that my hands weren't burnt unburnt enough to actually be able to use my hands. Yeah. I would rather burn the crap out of my hands and survive than get stuck on a rope and survive and know that I had to have somebody else take me off my rope. I don't remember <laughs> what type of gloves I have. They're in my car still, but they're they're the ones from the shop there down the road. You from, have repelling gloves. Yeah, I have actual. I'm I'm spending the money on some actual repelling gloves. Uh, I I absolutely loved mine. They're actually padded. Thank you for listening this week to unmedicated hopefully you can listen to us next week with uh, jd's topic of so next week we're going to be talking about your biggest fear what is your biggest fear just in general so fantastic so join us next week on unmedicated bye